Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. Here we go. Uh, He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came to call the righteous, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to open your word. We thank you, Father, for uh, your interest in sinners. God, uh, we we stand in that category, and, and Lord, we're so grateful that you came uh, looking for sinners, seeking sinners, saving sinners. God, we, we are that. And Lord, we pray that you would uh, open our minds today to understand your word. We pray, Father, that you would put us on mission. God, I ask you to give us a, a burning desire in our heart uh, to, to present Jesus, to exalt Jesus, to lift up Jesus to uh, a world uh, that was, is without him. Uh, Father, I pray that you would uh, help us to understand what it means to be separate from the world, but also engaged in the world. And Father, I I pray that you'd be our teacher today through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We don't know much about uh, Jesus' childhood. That's one of the things as you go through the Gospels, you realize there's kind of a hole there. There's kind of a gap there between his birth, which uh, Luke and John and uh, Matthew do a great job kind of talking about the the birth of Jesus. Mark doesn't mention it at all, uh, but Matthew, Luke, and John do. Uh, So we go from kind of the birth of Jesus and all that surrounds the incarnation is what we call that. If you've been with us on Wednesday night, we've been teaching the kids uh, the story of the Bible and uh, the, the, the one section this section that we're uh that we're in now would be the incarnation which is god becoming man so so the bible is very clear on that and but then there's not much at all between that and jesus public ministry okay so most everybody kind of skips from the birth of jesus to the public ministry of jesus uh with the exception of one story there's one story when jesus is uh 12 years old or so and he's in the temple and uh, actually the one story we have from jesus childhood his mom forgets him how would you like that i mean if you were married you know i mean well the one one story that they tell about the child of Jesus the day you forgot him, you know. So they forget him and they got to go back and they find him in the temple. But that, that's, the only, that's the only glimpse of Jesus' childhood that we have. Now, the reason I bring that up is because I'd really love to know some more things about Jesus' childhood. Wouldn't that be interesting just to know kind of how he grew up and everything? And one of the things I, I think would be really cool would be gym class with Jesus. Gym class with Jesus because you know how that always works is there's team captains, you know. And I bet Jesus just blew the whole paradigm out of the water, you know. Uh, when he got to be team captain, Captain, uh, it had to be interesting because Jesus seems to be a really bad picker. Okay, that, that's 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 what you would just naturally maybe think is that this guy does not know much about uh, about picking. You know, um, kickball. Jesus would would pick the disabled kid first. You know, every time uh, he'd, he'd look for the kid that couldn't throw, kick, or run, he'd say, "Yes, you're on my team. I want you first. You know, in basketball, you know, he'd have picked all the short guys first, all the five foot guys. He'd be having them in the center. Uh, 
you know, football, he'd have picked an 80-pound kid, you know. I mean, he just, he just seems not to have a knack, you know, for knowing, you know, who are the good people to pick, at least from a worldly standpoint. And that's what we see with his disciples. So as we're cruising through the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is choosing his disciples. He's going to have them all kind of picked here by, by next, uh, next chapter. In chapter 3, he gives a whole list of the 12 disciples. Uh, but right now, he's, he's calling them to himself. And so far, what we've got, okay, there's going to be 12 guys here that are going to basically take the gospel-saving message, the only message that's going to save the world to the ends of the earth. It's going to be entrusted to 12 guys. And so far, we've got two fishermen, one's a hothead, and now we've got a mobster, basically. We've got a tax collector, okay? And so you're kind of shaking your head thinking, Jesus, there's a lot riding on this, you know? How come you're not picking better? Um, but here's the interesting thing about Jesus' call, okay? So, so in this passage, he calls Matthew, who was a tax collector. Tax collectors were not good people. They were not honest people. They were not respected people. Uh, they, they tended to, to run in a bad crowd. Uh, but here's the thing about Jesus' call. Jesus' call always includes the power to accomplish what he calls. Okay, That's the difference between my call and your call and Jesus' call. Jesus' call always equips people to do what he's calling them to do. Greatest example of that is the, the guy Lazarus. Okay, Lazarus is in the grave. He's been dead four days. Jesus walks up to the tomb and he calls Lazarus to come out. Okay, Now, if that were you and I, we would simply be yelling at a dead person. That's all that would be happening there. We would be asking a dead person to do something that they could not do. But with Jesus' call, the, the, the theologians call this an effectual call. If you know, if you, if you ever heard that before. But what it means is that Jesus empowers what he calls. Okay, So when he calls you to follow him, with that call is also the power to do what Jesus is calling you to do. Okay, So, so it's not a big deal for him to call Levi here. Uh, by the way, if I say Matthew sometimes, uh, just, just excuse that. Matthew, Levi, we believe they're the same guy. This story occurs in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In Matthew, it is said to be Matthew. Okay, In, in Mark and Luke, it's said to be a guy named Levi. Uh, from what we from what we can gather between the three gospels, we don't think it's several different accounts. We think it's one account, and Matthew's name was also Levi, just like Simon's name was also Peter, and just like you know, I mean, there's lots of evidence of that in the Old Testament, and so that's probably what's happening there. But anyway, so so Jesus' call to to Levi included you know this power for him to leave his wealth and leave his position and leave his security and everything that that, that, that he'd known and to begin to follow Jesus. Okay, so Jesus targets a tax collector. Okay. One who most people considered unholy, unclean, not fit for this job. He, Jesus calls this guy into service, into ministry, into following him, into salvation. So far, so good, except for what happens next. Okay, so Jesus calls the tax collector to be one of the disciples, to follow him. And then it says in verse 15, as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Now, now's where the trouble begins, okay? Uh, Luke tells us a little more information about uh, this, this, what happened here. But Luke says in, in Luke chapter 5, verse 29, Levi made a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him, okay? So, uh, Levi throws a big party and he has Jesus come to the party. Jesus is hanging out with a bunch of sinners, uh, a bunch of, of socially uh, unacceptable type of people. Okay. Now, first of all, what a great tool of evangelism. Okay. What, what a great picture of evangelism. We're going to, we're going to look at that throughout this message, but here, here you've got, you've got Levi immediately reaching out to his friends, bringing them to a place where they can hear about Jesus. Okay. Sometimes evangelism is trapped. 
tracts. Sometimes it's preaching. Sometimes it's Gideon Bible. But you know what, guys? Sometimes it's brisket and fried potatoes and conversation, all right? Uh, I really think that, that the church does not do well if we only, you know, uh, bracket evangelism into one certain thing. You know, it's this. It's doing it my way. A lot of times evangelism is simply caring for your neighbors, caring for them and ministering to them and inviting them in and befriending them with the gospel in mind. And I really believe that a person who's full of the Holy Spirit, they're going to talk about Jesus eventually anyway. You know, I mean, it's going to come up in the conversation. It's going to come up. I just think that's a natural thing. If Christ is set apart in your heart as Lord, then then eventually if you have a long enough conversation with anybody, you're going to eventually talk about Jesus. I mean, isn't, isn't that just the way things work out? I mean, if I have a long enough conversation with somebody, I'm going to talk about my wife. I'm going to talk about my kids. I'm going to talk about you guys. I'm going to talk about things that I love. I mean, it's just going to come out. It's just going to happen. That's part of conversation. It's part of friendship. And, and so what Levi does here is he has a gathering of sinners. He brings them in and naturally knowing that Jesus is going to be there and, and that these guys are going to mix with Jesus. They're going to hear from Jesus. They're going to see Jesus. They're going to know Jesus. And, and so what a great ministry tool, okay? He's only been a Christian for a day, and he's already being used to bring other people to Jesus, okay? Now, why is that controversial, okay? That's controversial because you've got other religious folks here, uh, other religious folks who have a problem with Jesus eating in a social setting with tax gatherers and sinners, okay? And, and you know, I, I know that we're not Pharisees and there aren't any, I don't even know a Pharisee. Do you know a Pharisee? You probably don't know a Pharisee either. Uh, so, so we don't know any strict Pharisee, but, but you know what? We have the same issue today, don't we? Don't we have the same issue of, uh, of churches who say, you know what? It's, it's perfectly acceptable for a sinner to come here, you know? It's okay for someone who doesn't know Jesus to come here. And in fact, it's, it's great for them to come to our small group. And it's even great for them to come to our Christmas program. And it's great for them to come to our men's fish fry. And it's great for them to come to a, you know, any event that we have. But when we start going there, when, 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 the, when we start mixing with, with, with lost people, people, that don't know Jesus, people that aren't following Jesus, that makes some people really nervous. True? Doesn't it? That makes some people really nervous, okay? And, and maybe there's, there's a point to that, and that's where we're going to come back at the end, and we're going to talk about that. But that's why this is controversial, okay? It's because they're questioning, why would Jesus keep company with people who, 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 who live this kind of lifestyle, who, who, who are, are these kind of people, okay? That, that's their deal. That's their question. That, that's their beef with Jesus. To share a meal was a sign of fellowship, a sign of friendship. Um, notice that Jesus didn't just preach to people. Man, he actually loved people in, in, in the process. Um, one of the things that, that will make our evangelism disingenuous, if, if it's just a spiel, do you, know what I'm, do you know what I'm saying with that? If it's just, if it's just a, 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 if it looks a whole lot like a sales pitch without, without any kind of loving our neighbor, loving that person, uh, that's not a very impactful thing. Now, I believe God can use anything. God uses his word. In no way am I diminishing the power of the word of God. Uh, man, the word of God is what ch- changes people, what transforms people. But listen, our evangelism will be very one-dimensional di- if we simply say, okay, my only, my only interaction with, with a lost person is i got to communicate certain truths to give to you. That's it. You know, it's just one dimensional. It's just me giving you information. After that, we're not going to lunch. We're not being friends. We're not going to hang out. We're not going to play golf together. You know, until you accept the information that I've given you, then we can't be friends. Okay, that's very one dimensional. Jesus did not do evangelism that way. 
Okay? He just didn't. And, and, and these folks really struggled with that. They struggled with the fact that Jesus would go to a house, to a big party, lots of tax gatherers there, lots of people that didn't know Christ, weren't following Christ, weren't following God. And, and they struggled with the fact that he would, he would do that in the midst of preaching to them. Okay? What, what I'm going to tell you today is I think that's exactly the model that we ought to follow. <laughs> I think, you know, whenever it's Jesus or the Pharisees, always pick Jesus. You know, always do it his way, not their way. You know, there's a little New Testament hermeneutic for you there, a way to interpret the New Testament. Always pick Jesus' way. Okay? So, so in, in a sense, I think we have to agree with Jesus that it doesn't make sense to wrap the greatest gift ever, which is the gospel. You know, the gospel has the power to, to change lives and, and to redeem and to bring forgiveness and to bring eternal life and salvation. It doesn't make sense to wrap that in an unattractive package. It, it just doesn't make sense to do that. We ought to wrap the gospel in a package that says, you know what, man, I, I love you. I care for you. I, I want to serve you. I want to ministry. I want to show you what Jesus is in my life. And so our evangelism should look a lot like Jesus' evangelism here in the sense of caring for people at the same time looking to Jesus. Or even even Levi. Okay, Maybe Levi is our better example here. You know, uh, Levi's evangelism is, hey, I want to care for you. I want to minister to you. And at the same time, I want you to meet Jesus. I want to show you Jesus. Great, great picture of evangelism. Okay? Now, the Pharisees don't think so. The Pharisees are what you might call separatists. Uh, and basically, they, here, here's, their, here's their side of it, okay? The Pharisees say, look, man, if you're hanging out with these folks, you, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna get defiled, okay? You're going to be unclean. That, that's actually the way they looked at this, is you're hanging out with these folks, you're going to be unclean. And again, I don't know any Pharisees, but don't you think that we still have a little bit of that? I mean, don't you think that we think that way sometimes? That, you know, man, I, you know, if, I, if I see Tony hanging out with a whole bunch of, you know, unsightly characters, I'm thinking, oh, man, Tony, you're, you're going to be, you're, you're going to, you know, he's tainted a little bit. I worry about him. A little. I mean, that, that's just a natural thing, okay? Um, I think we have to be careful about looking at it that way. Um, and again, we'll, we'll try to wrap all this. We'll compare these two at the end. But let me show you. Let me show you the cool thing about Jesus. Okay, they're thinking Jesus is defiled. But here's the thing: Jesus doesn't defile. Jesus makes clean. Okay. Uh, let me give you a great example of this in, in chapter one. Okay. In chapter one, we we skipped this passage. We didn't look at it. But Jesus comes up to a leper, and it says uh, in chapter one, verse forty, says, "And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Move with pity.' He stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, "I will be clean." Now, if you and I lived in Jesus' day, that would be a phenomenal story. Like that would shock us. You know why? Because he touched a leper. Nobody touched a leper. You know why you didn't touch a leper? Number one, you didn't want to get leprosy, okay? I mean, you know, if you walk up to somebody and their nose is half fallen off, okay, you don't want to go up and give them a kiss on the cheek. I mean, that's just, you know, you're thinking, okay, this, I don't want that. Whatever he's got, I don't want. And so there's a natural just kind of, hey, you know, I'm going to stay back because I don't want to be, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to be sick, you know? I mean, we, we have that even today. Um, Tanya uh, last week after the service, she had a big sneeze and, and, and she covered her, her mouth, which is very polite. But then, you know, she didn't want to shake my hand, you know. You know why she didn't want to shake my hand? She didn't want me to get her sneeze, okay. Uh, she even apologized for it afterward. And, you know, it's a big deal. We, we don't want to, okay. So we get that sort of thing. Uh, whenever anybody has the flu, my wife is really good about being very generous. And, you know, we still hang around them and everything. But as soon as we get in the car, she passes out hand sanitizer. Like, you know, everybody's got to bathe in it, you know, because uh, we don't want to be contaminated. Okay. So, so there's that deal. But not only was there that deal, 
There's also a ceremonial religious aspect of it, okay? If you touched a leper, you couldn't go to church, okay? In, in, in Jesus' day, you, you weren't clean to go to the temple. You, you, you remember all those laws, you know? I mean, you, you were ceremonially unclean. And so it was a big deal for Jesus, for this leper to come up and say, Jesus, I know you can make me clean. And, and Jesus could have just kind of stood at a distance and said, you know, be clean, you know. But, but he didn't, you know. He comes up and he, and he, you know, you had to think it shocked the disciples. He touches him. But here's the deal about Jesus. When Jesus touches the unclean, he doesn't become unclean. He makes the unclean clean, okay. Isn't that cool? I mean, Jesus makes the unclean clean. Okay, so 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 when Jesus touches people, he's the influencer. Okay, he's the influencer. He's the one that makes clean. Okay, the Pharisees thought that that God was only for the religious people. In their mind, these other folks were unclean. They, 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 They were not followers of God. And so we need to stay away from them. That God is only for the religious people. There's a big problem with that theological thinking. Okay, the big problem is you can't clean yourself up. You, you, you can't clean yourself up and come to Christ. And so nobody's going to come to Jesus if, if that's the way we think. Because uh, nobody's clean. No, no, nobody's good. Uh, you know, here's what we don't want. We don't want our church to put off the vibe that you got to have it all together before you come here. Do, do you think that churches put off that vibe? I don't know if they do or not. But how, how many people have you, have you heard say something to that effect? That, you know, I, I can't come to your church in, until I get my stuff together, you know? People there wouldn't want me there. How many of you heard, you know, if I come in there, the building will fall down. How many of you heard that stupid saying uh, a thousand times, you know? If I come into the building, it's, you know, the walls are going to fall, you know. And what are they saying? They're saying, man, my life's a mess. I got to get all cleaned up before I come in. Okay, that's horrible theology. Number one, you can't ever get clean until you come to Jesus, okay? But, but number two, as a church, we don't want to put off the vibe that, yeah, we're, we're the folks that have it all together, you know? I mean, it's like a hospital hanging out a sign that says, you know, we cater to healthy people, you know? No, no, you, you, that's a bad business thing, okay? We don't cater to healthy people. The church should cater to sinners, okay? And it's a damaging thing to, 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 to put this vibe out that, that we're, we're just all for, for, for people that already have it all together, the other bad thing about that is, is people begin to believe that. And so you know what they think? They think, well, if I do some good works, if I, that, then my life will be together. That's what the Pharisees were thinking. You know, the Pharisees were thinking that, that you know, they'd done some good deeds. They, 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 they were comparing themselves to others. That, that's what people do as well to try to make themselves righteous is they find somebody worse than them and then they compare themselves and then they feel righteous. Uh, they exaggerate the faults of others and they minimize their own transgressions. But, that, you know, that's all silly. Okay, that's all silly. It's really a silly thing to, to put some people in one category and some people in another category. These are the really bad people and the, these, these are the, the, the righteous people. Okay, here's the theological truth. There's nobody righteous outside of Jesus. Okay, nobody. Uh, I mean, that, that sort of thinking is like, a, you know, in a prison, you know, there being a club, you know, for the people that, uh, that have only killed one person, you know, and then there's another club for the people that have killed numerous people, you know, and, and the club that, uh, the people that have only killed one person, they feel like they're the righteous ones, you know? I mean, that, that's, a, that's a silly way to look at it. We're all in the same boat, okay? We're, there, there's no one righteous outside of Jesus Christ, okay? And if you think that you're already righteous, then there's nothing that Jesus can do for you. That, that's his point here. How does he respond to these guys? He says in verse 17, When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. 
I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. What is Jesus saying there? Is he saying when he says, I, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners? Is he saying, yep, you guys, you're right. You, y'all don't need me. You're already righteous, you know. Yeah, I, I'm, but I need to go to these other sinners, but you guys are fine. No, that, that's not what he's saying. Okay? He's not saying that you're, he, he's actually kind of being sarcastic, I think, here. I think what he's saying is until you realize that you're a sinner, then there's really nothing I can do for you. Okay, because listen, Jesus did not come to be your life coach. He didn't come to be your consultant. He didn't come to be your your personal trainer or your assistant or your religious guru. Jesus does one thing. He saves. Okay, he saves and he transforms. And so unless you need a savior, there's not any other positions open. All right. You see these religious leaders, that's what they were looking at Jesus for. They were like, you know, hey, we're a peer with you. You know, maybe we can get together and share rabbinical ideas. You know, let's get up. You're a religious guy. We're a religious guy. So we're. We'll all get together. Okay? No. That, that's not the way it works. You, that's, a, that's a very small view of sin, first of all. Okay? If in your mind, your sin is a very surface level, which that's what these folks thought, and, and all that needs to be done is you need to change your habits, you need to start doing some good needs, you need to you know, change who you hang out with, and, and, and that's all that needs to be done. No, that's completely wrong. Man, your sin runs to the depth of your being, okay? You, you're deeply broken, you're deeply damaged, our thoughts, our desires, all that, all that we love is wrong and hopelessly broken. We're sinners, and our only hope is a Savior. And if you're like the Pharisees, and you're afraid to hang out with sinners thinking you might be infected, it's too late. You're already infected, okay? I mean, it happened at birth. You got this thing at conception, okay? So you've been broken your entire existence. And, and Jesus came to save sinners. He came to save sick people. And that's what we are. Listen to how Isaiah describes our, our condition. I, I like, this is just a vivid picture of sin. Isaiah says in Isaiah 1, 4, he says, all sinful people, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They've despised the Holy One of Israel. They're utterly estranged. Okay. Look at verse, uh, verse five and six. Why will you be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint from the sole of the foot, even to the head. There's no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They're not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. I mean, Isaiah's picture is you're a mess. I mean, that's his picture. You're a mess. You know, if, if, if this were physical, you know, you would just look a mess, but it's spiritual. And so we can't see it except for the actions and when we can pretend like we're okay, but we're not okay, we're spiritually sick, spiritually terminal. It's an interesting thing that Jesus describes sin as a sickness, doesn't it? He describes himself as a physician, okay? But that's what it is. Sin is a sickness that keeps you from being well. It keeps you from, 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 from doing what you want to do. From, it makes you weak to temptation. It makes you miserable, destroys your life. It eventually kills you. And we're all sick with sin. And your symptoms might be different than somebody else's symptoms. You know, your, your symptoms might come out and you lashing out with words while somebody else's comes out and lust with their eyes and somebody else in, in a prideful exalting of themselves. We've all got it. We're all sick. And, and the first step to healing when you're sick is you've got to admit you're, you're sick. You know, we, we've got those folks here in our church that never want to admit they're physically sick, right? Uh, they're gonna, we've got one guy that always says he's going to will it away. And so his way of willing it away is acting like he's not really sick, you know. Uh, you never get to the doc's office doing that, you know. I mean, you got to admit, man, I need help. And, and here's what's true. Some people have been more outwardly devastated by sin. That's true, isn't it? 
Uh, some people who have lived in, in a pattern of sin longer, their life is more chaotic and destroyed because of sin. Okay, that's true. But listen, the person who's willing to admit their sin is much closer to Jesus than the person who's got a you know, pretty moral life and they're hiding and comparing and dodging their sin. So the Pharisees and scribes needed a health, healthy dose of reality. And that reality is, you know what? We got to stop comparing ourselves. We got to stop like acting like they're the, they're the bad people. They're the people that need salvation and we're not. I mean, I mean that's, that's just, that's broken. That's like two kids in, in school, two boys, you know. One, one of them gets an F and one of them gets an F minus. And, and the one that gets an F says, man, I'm going to stop hanging around with that guy. He's a bad influence, you know. Hey, you're in the same boat. I mean, that, that's, 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 that's the truth. You're in the same boat, okay? And if you're righteous, the only reason that you're righteous, if you're truly righteous here today, the only reason you're righteous is Jesus' blood, Jesus' work, Jesus drawing you through the Holy Spirit, Jesus redeeming you, Jesus revealing truth to you. The only reason you're righteous is because of Jesus. So we need to start looking at humanity rightly, okay? It, humanity is one terminal, sick, corrupt, dying lot, every one of which needs Jesus, and it's Jesus' mission. Here it is, right here. Jesus' mission to be a physician. He's a mission. His mission is, is to go to the sick and to bring them to health through his work on the cross. Now, our mission is to join him in that, okay? Our mission is to join Jesus in that, to join Jesus in, in going to the lost and in bringing them to himself. Now, here's where I wanted to get to, okay? So we've kind of dealt with the passage. We kind of, you know, see this bad thinking about they're sinners. We're going to be infected, all, all that, that silliness, Okay. But here's the reality. Here's what I want to talk to you about, okay? So on one hand, the Bible is pressing you, bring lost people into your life. Love them, care for them, minister to them, and at the, at the same time, exalt Jesus, okay? All right? You, are we getting that? All right? That's, that's God's mission for you. Your coworkers, man, love them, care for them, be creative, you know? If you find out they like Diet Cherry Limeades, bring them a Diet Cherry Limeade. I mean, just love on them. Be a friend to them. Show them Jesus, okay? Have them to your house. Minister to them. Care for them. You know, be a part of their lives. At the whole time, pointing them to Jesus. It should be a natural thing. It should not be something you're afraid of. If you love Jesus, he's going to come out of you, okay? All right, so, so there's our mission, okay? Now, at the same time, let's be fair. Let, let's, just, let's just be fair. There also are passages in the scripture that also warn us about our connection with wicked people, our connection with lost people, our connection with unbelievers, and how that might affect our own walk with Jesus. Okay? We just had to be fair with that. Proverbs 13.20. Proverbs 13.20 says, He who walks with the wise will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. True? That's true. That, that verse is true. I, I've made my kids memorize that verse. I want them to realize that people influence people. And I want them to realize that, that if you're being influenced in the wrong direction, if you're walking with sinners in the sense of going the same direction they are in their life, that is a very dangerous thing. And so Proverbs thirteen twenty. it's a real thing. It's a real verse that we've got to deal with, okay? Uh, Psalm 1. Psalm 1, another popular verse that we've memorized. I don't have it marked in here. Uh, Psalm 1 says... Uh, I think I have it written down. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffer. Okay? Let me give you another one. 2 Corinthians 6.14. This one's really bold. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? What fellowship has light and darkness? What accord has Christ and Belial, or, or, or an idol? 
What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Okay, and, 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 and Paul goes on to say, come apart and be separate. Okay, so, so how do we reconcile that with what we just saw here with Jesus and his mission? Okay, now some people, you know what some people are going to say? They're going to say, well, I can do that really easy, Pastor. We're not Jesus. Okay, Jesus' mission is to go to sinners. Our mission is to get away from sinners, you know. <laughs> no, I don't think so, because we take up Jesus' mission. Okay, we're to be like Jesus. Levi, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe you're not Jesus, but you are Levi in this passage. You are Levi. This, he's commended here for bringing sinners to his home, having a fellowship with sinners so that they could meet Jesus. Okay, so that doesn't hold up. So we've we, we got to dig deeper than that, okay? We've got to dig deeper than that. So how, how do we reconcile these two? Well, let, let's, let's be real specific about what we're being told here. Number one, we're being told not to be enticed to follow the path of sin, okay? That's really what Psalm 1 is saying. Psalm 1's not saying, don't hang out with sinners. Psalm 1 is saying, don't walk in the same way, okay? Don't follow the same path. Don't live the same way. Don't have the same lifestyle. Don't love the same things, okay? And, and, and really, I believe that's what Proverbs thirteen twenty is saying as well, is don't be influenced by sin, okay? So we can all say yes to that. Okay? If you find yourself you know, in association with sinners and because of that, you're doing the things they're doing. Okay? You're hanging out with a guy and he treats his wife really bad and you start treating your wife the same way. He makes jokes about his wife and they're funny. And so you make jokes about your wife because it's funny. That's not funny. Okay? And, and so that's a bad deal. Okay? So you're not to walk in the same way as sinners. Okay? So, so yes, we can all say, okay, there's a good point. If you're, if, you're, if you're influenced into a life of sin, you've lost your missional influence anyway. Okay? So if, if you're hanging out with sinners and you're doing what they're doing, you're, you're not on mission anyway. I don't know what you're doing. You know, because, because you're, you're salt that's lost its savor. Matthew chapter 5 verse 13 says, You are salt, the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You're the light of the world. The city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor are people light a lamp under a basket, but put it on a stand. Okay, so we got a couple pictures there, and the first one is of salt that loses its savor. Okay, so there, there's the danger that salt, you know... It, it's on the food, but it's tasteless. Okay, it's not doing any good. So if you're walking in sin, you're not on mission for Jesus anyway. Okay? Now, the other danger on the other side of that, though, is if the salt never reaches the food. Okay? Salt doesn't do good in the shaker. Okay? It doesn't, it doesn't do anything there. Light, the second picture there in Matthew 5 is light that's hidden. Okay? For us to turn all the lights on and then put black paper, tape black paper all over these, it, that, that defeats the purpose of the light. Okay? And so, so there's two extremes there. Number one, we're walking in sin, so, so we're not on mission anyway because we're, we're not pointing to Jesus. We're not showing people who what Jesus is. The second extreme is we, we are walking for Jesus, but we're, we're hiding ourselves from the lost world. Okay, both those neutralize your mission. We, we don't want either one of those, okay? <clears throat> now, next, we're told not to join. So first of all, we're told not to live a sinful, a sinful lifestyle. So we're not to, to copy the world. Second of all, we're told not to join into binding relationships with non-believers that hinder our ability to follow Jesus. That's what 2 Corinthians 6 is all about. 2 Corinthians 6 says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What partnership? Okay, I just read that to you. But do you notice unequally yoked? What does it mean to be yoked? To be yoked means you're tied together, okay? That's different than having folks to your house, 
You know, if you, if you have a bunch of sinners to your house, you have a bunch of folks that don't know Jesus to your house and you feed them, you know, pork chops and, and, and Coke or whatever. Okay, you're not yoked, okay? You're not saying, hey, move in, you know, all of you and, and we'll share house payment. You know, I mean, no, you're, you're inviting them into friendship, okay? That's different than a marriage relationship, for instance. Okay, now what's a marriage relationship? Well, that's a unique relationship. That's a relationship that, in which you are yoked to another person. Em and I are going in the same direction. We, 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 live, uh, we live a life together, okay? We're, 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 we're doing things together. There, there's a, a tie between us, okay? If a husband loves Jesus and he wants, he wants their family to revolve around Jesus, but his wife cares less about, could care less about Jesus, that's a problem, isn't it? You know, if, if a wife loves Jesus and, man, she wants to raise her kids up, you know, to follow Jesus. And the husband says, I don't want my kids hearing any of that stuff. Okay, that's a problem. Now, now, you've got, now you've got a Christian who's being hindered in his ability to follow Jesus because of a relationship. That's what 2 Corinthians 6 is talking about. It's not talking about having folks over to your house and sharing the gospel with them. It's talking about a believer marrying an unbeliever and not being able to walk the Christian life as, as their heart intends or, or desires to walk. But most of our relationships, most of our friendships are not going to fall into the category of 2 Corinthians 6. You know, you're only going to marry one person, hopefully. Um, You know, you're probably not going to go into business, you know, with very many people. And so most of the relationships are really not talking about that. Okay. And so so what's our rule for the rest of our relationships? Coworkers, neighbors, acquaintances. Just friendships, golf buddies. What, what's, what's, our, what's our rule for that? Well, first of all, Jesus must be the centerpiece of our life in our relationship with others. Um, I'm not saying you can't talk about fishing or golf or cooking. or I think you should. I think you should talk about all of that stuff. But, but here's what I think the Bible would say. And this is what First Peter 3 means. Set Christ apart as Lord. Okay, Your life should say, Jesus is my king. It should just say that. You shouldn't have to say that. Your life should say that. Okay, so 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 your life, your life should point to Jesus. And here's where your heart is infinitely important. Okay, if your heart is inclined towards sin and and you're drawn to hang out with with certain people, not so that you can be salt and light in their life, but so you can participate in what they do. Okay, that's a bad deal. That's where that goes wrong. That's where that's where you're not you're in a place where you shouldn't be. Okay. And, and, and here's what's really important that we be honest about our, our motives. You know, am I wanting to be with these people so that I can exalt Jesus and love them and care for them and see their life blessed? Or am I wanting to be with these people so that, so that I can go do what they want to do and I, and I can have an excuse for, for, for sin? Okay, now, now listen, what's the answer to that if you find yourself in that category? If you find yourself saying, you know what, I go to the bar and I always tell my, my folks and my pastor that I'm there because I'm, I'm witnessing to people. But really, I'm there because I like that lifestyle. Okay, what's the answer? Is the answer stop going there? Well, maybe for a while, you know, but, but the real answer is get your heart right, you know. I mean, the real answer is your heart should say, I don't want to sin. And I want to get far from sin. I, I, I don't want to be tempted by sin. I, I don't want to sin. You know, I think we find this a lot with, with young people who are dating. Um, how many times have you heard of a, a young person and they're, they're seriously dating with someone? And, and, and their, their thing is, I mean, I'm, I'm doing this because I'm a missionary dater. You know, I'm going to win them to Jesus through, through my kissing, you know. Uh, 
Man, I, I think, I think first of all, how, how are you ever you really going to be honest with yourself about that? You know, you guys, you remember what it was like to date. Can you really be honest with yourself? Is that really your heart's? Probably not. I mean, your heart's desire is probably you, you just you want a relationship with that person. And and if they're not a believer, then man, I don't think you're being a missionary. I I, I think I think you're blowing it. Okay. Um, so be honest about your motives. Be honest about your intentions. Okay, one, one more category here. There's a difference between your golf buddy, your backyard barbecue friends, and your accountability partner. Okay, th- those are just different things. Those are different categories. Um, th- there was a difference in the present direction between folks Jesus ate with, casually socializing, evangelizing, caring for, loving them. There's a difference between those folks... And the folks that Jesus built close discipleship relationships with, right? I mean, you got one group of people here that he's he's sitting down at a table with, and he's laughing with, and and he's he's teaching, and he's encouraging, and he's ministering to, and he's healing, and he's he's pointing them to God. There's that group of people, and then there's another group of people that Jesus is calling to say, "I want you guys to travel with me, and and we're we're I'm I'm going to entrust to you, you know, the kingdom of God." And, and you're going to carry it on. There, there's just a difference in different groups of people. Um, one, one, I think guys do this better than ladies. Um, but I think you should be able to categorize your friendships. In, in the sense of, you know, I've got this friendship and here's what this guy is in my life. You know, he's a guy that I'm, man, I love and he's, he's great to be around. But I'm really sharing Jesus with him. I want to love this guy to Jesus. I want, I want to care for him. I want to minister. To him. See, I have a category there. And then there's another guy in my life, and this guy, man, I love him too. He's a great guy, but you know what? He, he's a spiritual man. I'm learning from him, okay? And I'm going to share my heart with him. I'm going to let him have influence over my life. I'm going to imitate him. I'm going to imitate his life. Okay, see, that guy's different than this guy. And, and, and we need to be able to have those categories in our life. And then there may just be other people in other kind of categories, you know? But, but, but I think that helps with, with, with this, this tension in this passage is, you know, was Jesus, you know, inviting all these folks to be his accountability partner? You know, is he bringing in the prostitutes and, and the tax, unrepentant tax gatherers and saying, yeah, you know, hey, let's be accountable, you know? Uh, no, that's, that's not what was happening there. And, and so be honest about the different kinds of relationships in your life. You do need people that are going to, they're going to be believers that you walk with. Listen, if you don't have that in your life, man, you're, you're, you're in trouble, okay? Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You need people like that in your life. You need people who are going to exhort you day after day. You, you need people like Romans 1. Here's, here's our small group verse, okay? Our small group verse, one, Romans 1, 11 and 12. I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. You need people who, 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 who you're going you're gonna to spend your life with who are going to encourage your faith, okay? You need those folks. If you don't have them, you need to find them, okay? You, you need them. The Bible says you need them. But on the same, on the same level of urgentness, you also need people in your life that you're loving and caring for and pointing to Jesus. And I just want to finish by challenging you with this. Do you have both those categories of people? I really think there's some people in this room, 
you got all kinds of, of lost people in your life, and, and hopefully you're doing a good job of pointing them to Jesus, you don't hardly have anybody in your life that you could say, man, I'm, I'm imitating their faith. And, and, and our relationship is all about growing in holiness toward Jesus. Okay? So there's some of you that you, you need to get more of these people, and probably getting more of those people are going to make you be more healthy over here. More, more impactful over here. Please don't do this. Don't let go of all these people. Don't, don't let go of all, all, all of your, your ties to, to lost people so that you can, you can totally be saturated in, in a holy huddle over here. That's not good, okay? But, but you, you need to probably come this way and you need to get some of those folks. And that's going to be intentional. It's going to take work and it's going to be hard. Now, others of you in this room, you, you, probably, you may have a bunch of these folks, and all this is enjoyable, by the way. It's really enjoyable to have people that are investing in your life and caring for you and ministering to you, okay? But you know what you need? You probably need to take some steps to say, hey, come over to our house and let us love on you over here. People that don't know Jesus, you say, oh, pastor, they're sinners. Exactly, they're just like you. You'll get along great, okay? And, and so there really is a difference. You know, the only difference is Jesus has saved you. That's the only difference, okay? So, so you'll get along fine, okay? But you, you, need, you need to have some folks that you're loving on and caring for and ministering. And the whole, the whole purpose of your relationship is you want to care for them so you can point them to Jesus, okay? And so everybody's going to be somewhere in there, right? Okay? I don't know that there's anybody that's just right smack where they need to be. I, I, think, I think God's going to call each of us one way or another this morning. You need to be, you need to have more of these or you need to have more of these so you can be more effective here. But, but I, I know God's going to move us. I, he's, he's, he's moving me. I'll just tell you where I need to go. I need to go over here. Just be honest. Okay. I've got lots of these probably just by the nature of what I do, you know, but God's really convicted me. I, I, I need to be more in, more intentional about loving and caring for lost people. So that's where I'm at. That's where God's moving me. You, what, what's he doing with you? Let's figure that out. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for uh, being, being our Savior, God. You're exactly what we need, Father. We're sinners. We're sick with sin. God, we're, uh, we're in trouble without you. And so, Lord, I, I thank you so much for, um, for being a Savior who, who comes after sinners. And, Lord, I pray that you'd help us, Father, to, to balance out the... the uh, the relationships in our life. God, give us, give us people that we can walk in faith with, people that we can fellowship with, people that we can worship with and pray with and be encouraged by. But God, also, also give us some folks that we could, we could love to Jesus, that we could minister to and care for in our everyday life. Father, help us to be wise. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.